Do you love the American Constitution? We too. Please help letting this podcast survive in the current cancel culture. Amazon recently deleted our Peter Kanzler collection, probably for being too cheap. It was Locke, Hobbes and the US Constitution for only 15 bucks. Check out our Peter Kanzler at Barnes and Noble, Lulu or do a quick DuckDuckGo search to buy American collections that come at the lowest price possible to keep civil law great. That's P-E-T-E-R-K-A-N-Z-L-E-R. Featuring the original texts from Locke, Hobbes, Rousseau, the US Constitution, Machiavelli and many more always bound together in just one book. Thank you very much. Hey, how's it going, everyone? So today I have a very special guest, Dr. Jordan B. Peterson. He's a professor of psychology at the University of Toronto and a practicing clinical psychologist. And I want to read just a, just a little bit of, um, of, of a paragraph, just a little piece from his, his, um, his own website. Jordan Peterson has published more than um, 100 scientific papers transforming the modern understanding of personality and revolutionizing the psychology of religion in his now classic book, Maps of Meaning, The Architecture of Belief. As a Harvard professor, he was nominated for the prestigious Levinson Teaching Prize and is regarded by his current University of Toronto students as one of the three truly life-changing teachers. Uh, Dr. Peterson, uh, thank you for coming on and hearing that, is it, is it, safe to say is it fair to say that you are considered a rock star now <laughs> well um my youtube channel seems to be have become very popular and uh i've been yeah i, I mean I, I hate to use that characterization <laughs> you know but um yeah there's been an explosion of media interest and then public interest in the sorts of things that not only the sorts of things that i've been dealing with say sort of philosophically and politically but also in the in the lectures that I'm putting up for people on, on YouTube, which I've been doing for about it's about four years now, and uh, I think it's the combination of the stance that I took on on compelled speech and and on political correctness in general, and also the content that I've been providing with pe people. They they come to the channel for the for the political controversy, I suppose, and they seem to stay for the content. So that's pretty. It's been it's remarkable. I mean. I don't know what to make of it. It's it's remarkable. Yeah, you like it, it, there's been like a, a shift of people wanting to they like they want to hear stuff like this. They're they're really excited to hear like a, a position of free speech when when a lot of people actually have been kind of railing against it. And um, it's it's really interesting uh, the type the times that we're in because you know, it, unfortunately it's coming from a lot of people on the the, the far left. There's like this authoritarian left type of movement taken afoot and that's basically where most people kind of uh recognized you from because they saw a protest uh that was going on at your university um about and it was about uh, bill c-16 yeah that's and, right that's right yeah well because i i made a video that that where i i uh expressed my opposition to the the canadian government's attempts to make certain kinds of speech mandatory and also uh to oppose the University of Toronto Human Resources Department's attempts to impose uh, what I regard as inappropriate and and likely harmful so-called unconscious anti-bias retraining on the part of their 
human resources employees, which I think is a very dangerous incursion into the civil rights of, of, of their staff, as, as well as being based on very poor science, in my estimation. So, yeah, people, 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 uh, there was a protest as a consequence of that, and that got a lot of attention on YouTube, and that was one of the things that drew a lot of attention to my channel. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's what, it's how I found you. It's, um, I, I, I actually did a video on it and I saw that you tweeted it out. So I was actually like, oh, he, 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 he's seen it. And I, I feel, I feel strange because, um, like the type of content I make, I try to be a uh, very lighthearted. I try to have people, I try to be, uh, crack a lot of jokes and have people at yeah. least have some fun through, through the madness. So when I was also like seeing that, I was like, oh, I wonder, I wonder what he thinks because I, I don't know. I got a real kick out of your out of your coverage. I thought it was really funny, and it's funny because some of the best conversations that I've had with people on YouTube so far have been with people who have a who are who have a background in comedy, roughly speaking. And I think it's partly because people who have a good sense of humor and who have a comical take on things are also likely to tell the truth. Because there's almost nothing funnier than telling the truth, right? If you say things that other people think but won't say, then you know they're that often makes you very funny. And I thought you're, oh, I think your channel is very comical and witty. So. Well, that, that, that I appreciate that a lot because <laughs> yeah, I like, uh, I don't know, hearing, hearing stuff like that. Sometimes I'm like doubting myself. I don't know. I'm like, should I, should I try to be more? Cause <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I'm in, I'm kind of, I guess I've been shoved in this, uh, this community called the skeptic community on YouTube. And um, I, I, I do try to be skeptical, but at the same time, like I said, I try to be more just on the comedic side. I was thinking about being more serious and try to be like, say more respected, I guess, in the, in the, in the community that I'm in. But I, I kind of want to just, I was like, no, 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 there's, there's enough people. I don't know if you're, um, if you watch, say, if there's any, any YouTubers in particular, in particular that you watch, I don't know if you've, uh, seen, say anyone like Sargon of Akkad or Armored yeah. Skeptic. Yeah. And, um. Have you had I'm gonna any? Be on, I'm going to be on Sargon's show in 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 the relatively near future. Awesome. I I suspected that much. Um, especially he just did a video about it. I saw it um recently, and that was actually something that um I wanted to ask you about because he was talking about uh, McMaster University. Oh yeah. And um and that's actually something that I wanted to. I, I really I was really interested in and in knowing like say, um was this. How how do you you like you're officially like on you're just a, a, like a target now where now you're being shut down where we've seen it happen to other people people that like say the Miley but you know he's a I could say a provocateur and so it's it's very telling that they would go out of their way just to shut you down when I don't know it just seems like you're not saying anything that is irrational you're not saying anything that is even remotely extreme. And uh, I, I just want to get your take on how did you feel when when you got when you got your your um, shut down at uh, well, McMaster? Well, it's a funny thing because when I was there, I didn't really think of it as being shut down. Um, and the reason for that is because things aren't exactly what they appear to be anymore. And so, for example, now when I go and, and talk at places, the place I'm talking at is barely the place where the event is happening at all. The real event happens on YouTube. And so I went there and I saw all these people acting in a, a, a very, what, what would you say? Well, it, it was partly a, a vulgar manner because they were yelling things at me that were... Um, just they just asinine. Just, yeah, just, they're, well, they're, they're not the sorts of things that you'd expect even protesters who had any sense to be shouting.
they're 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 just they're just low rent insults you know low grade insults and behaving very badly and and laughing about it in on their cell phones and and misbehaving in a in a very bad way and and having the goal for example to appear at the McMaster talk behind a huge banner with a hammer and sickle on it like as far as i'm concerned i and i really mean this there is no difference between appearing behind a banner with a hammer and sickle on it and appearing behind a banner with a swastika on it and the fact that you can get away with that at a university and and that that's considered uh what would you describe it as a reasonable stance in the aftermath of the events of the 20th century where we know that at least 100 million people were killed by communist totalitarianism is absolutely reprehensible but when i was at mcmaster i thought and and i thought this ever since that first the first protest where i where i was shouted down increasingly the appropriate thing to do when surrounded by protesters is to document it and let them let them destroy their own credibility and so far virtually every time i've had an encounter with the radical social justice types and i just let them be which which is i think a reasonable approach they've undermined their own position dreadfully and so i don't think of it being as being shut down at all i just think about it as another route to victory and even an effective route because maybe 150,000 people have watched that protest now at McMaster University maybe more far more people than were at the event itself so yeah no yeah you're absolutely right it it actually i mean it when this stuff does happen it does bring it brings these issues to light and it shows just how ridiculous these people are acting and showing that like you you can't take them seriously and, and i 100% agree about the the hammer and sickle thing like 100% because um, especially when you see what's been happening at, say, for instance, like Trump rallies around the United States, yeah. where um, a lot of these people that consider themselves uh, communists or Marxists or whatever, or um, anti-fascists, they're just just beating the hell out of people in the in the name of fighting fascism. It's it's the most it's the most like it's the most ironic thing that. I, I've I've witnessed in quite a while. It's it's pretty it's pretty <laughs> it's pretty sad to be to be honest. But um, like you said, though, people are um, in, in just in droves, just just trying to shy away from that and be like, this is not this is not the way to go. Yeah. And so yeah, it actually is a very good thing that you know we'll say there's the silver lining for you getting <laughs> screeched at and and shouted down and yeah, everything. Well, it's, it's a massive silver lining because now I'm in a situation uh, that I suspect is very. Um, frustrating for those who are opposing what I'm doing, where if I go speak somewhere and there are no protesters, then I get to speak and I'll get a viewing of a couple of hundred thousand people. And if I go somewhere and I don't get to speak, then that gets a viewing of a couple of hundred thousand people. And so at the moment, I'm in this extraordinarily fortunate position where as long as I don't do anything too unforgivably stupid and get carried away or get arrogant or anything like that, that um, if, as long as I'm cautious, as if I keep pushing forward with what I'm doing, then I seem to come out in a positive light either way. And that's a great position to be in. It's an amazing position to be in. And I, it's also been, I've learned some really interesting things here as well. So one of the things that's happened, you were talking about my YouTube popularity. And I can tell you some details about that that you might be interested in. Uh, first of all, the overwhelming majority of the people who come to see me live and who are watching my YouTube videos are men. 
it's about 90% men. And, you know, you might think that that's because my political stance, say, doesn't necessarily appeal to women. But I don't think that that's what it is. Because when I looked at the demographics for my lectures, my personality lectures and my other university lectures that I've put online since 2013, even before this political uh, issue became central, let's say, about 85% of the people who were watching my lectures were men. And that's strange because about 75% of psychology students in universities are female. Now, and so I've been trying mm. to figure out why is it that men are coming to watch me and why is it that men are watching my lectures? And what I, what, so I've been speaking to these audiences about a variety of different things. And, and I've been concentrating mostly on the right to free speech. Um, and in an apolitical manner, in some sense, like I'm making the case that it's necessary for free speech to be placed above all other political virtues so that no matter who it is, no matter whose position that's being put forward, they have an opportunity to engage in political dialogue. But also I've been talking an awful lot about responsibility. And responsibility is the other half of rights, right? Because your rights are my responsibility and my rights are your responsibility. And so you actually can't have a discussion about rights without having a discussion about responsibility, unless you're willing to forget about half of the story. And the, the radical leftists in particular, and even the moderates, I would say, have been pushing this idea that the quality of life that someone enjoys is entirely dependent on the rights that they're granted, or the rights that they take to themselves. And I've been putting forward a, the counter story, which is, well, just hold on a minute there, guys. You should be concentrating more on responsibility that you should be upholding in the community and getting your act together as individuals and living in a way that makes you valuable to your family and to your to the broader community and learning how to bear a heavy load like a civilized human being and the men the young man man they are so hungry for that message it's just unbelievable their eyes light up and you know I, I've got this program that I wanted to talk to you about too uh, I designed this program a while back called Future Authoring, and that's available at selfauthoring.com. And it's a program that helps people write out a plan for their life three to five years down the road. And so what the, the program asks you some questions. It asks you, okay, so imagine that you were taking care of yourself like you're someone that you were cared for. So you're, you're, you're trying to set your life up so that you have a good, high-quality, valuable life. And however you want to define that, that's, it's up to you to define it. Um, and you're asked to think about, well, what do you want from your friends? Or who do you want your friends to be? What do you want for your career? How are you going to educate yourself? How are you going to use your time in a high-quality and productive way outside of, outside of your obligations? Um, how are you going to handle drugs and alcohol? Um, what do you want for an intimate relationship? How are you going to structure your family? You know, the, the basic, you can think about that as the basic dimensions of a, of a functional life. So mm -hmm. the question is, if you could have what you wanted, what would that look like? And assuming what, what you wanted was also best for you, you know, that you were heading in a positive direction. So you're asked to think about that. And then you're asked to write for 15 minutes without too much concern for grammar or structure about what your life could be like three to five years down the road if it was set up in a manner that you would find optimal. And then you're asked to write a counterposition, which is, all right, so think about yourself critically for a minute and then imagine that you let your bad habits and your resentment and your hatred and, and, and everything about you that's, that's 
subpar or suboptimal, get the upper hand, and it augured you into the ground. What sort of hell would you be in three to five years down the road? And so we basically imagine you you specify a heaven that you can strive for and yeah. a hell that you want to avoid. And that sets you up for maximal motivation, because eh? you're running towards something you want and you're running away from something you don't want. And then you're asked to lay out an implementable plan and to come up with detailed rationale for what you're going to pursue. So, okay, so that's all a long story. But we've tested this program in a number of universities in Europe and in North America. And we found the same thing each time. We found that it it works better for, for students who are doing worse. It's not just for students, by the way, but we've tested it in students because it was, it was an easy population to actually assess its effectiveness. And so um, we found that it increased students' grade point average by about 25% and decreased the probability that they would drop out of university by about 25%. So, about, so huge effect. But what was really cool was that the biggest effect was on men. And if you look in the universities now, and in schools for that matter, women are outperforming men. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think it's because the men, well, I, I, we don't have to get into why that is, but they are. But if they do the future author program, the men catch up. And then here's the kicker. This is, this is something I think is absolutely fascinating. So when we did our... Our big study in Holland, I worked with a woman there named Michaela Shippers and uh, uh, another professor named Ad Sheepers. And we ran about 7,000 students through this program now. And then we broke them up not only by, by, by sex, but also by ethnicity. And so we broke them into male and female and also Dutch national and non-Western ethnic minority. And then we looked at at their initial performance before they did the program. And so the highest performing people were the Dutch women, and then the Dutch men, and then the non-Western ethnic minority women, and then the non-Western ethnic minority men, who were out underperforming the Dutch women by about 70%, so a huge margin, and dropping out far more frequently. When they did the program, the non-Western ethnic minority men caught up to the Dutch women and passed them within two years. And Interesting. We, no wow. kidding, man. That just blew me away. And so, uh, like, because that's that's so unlikely, right? Usually, when you when you produce an intervention that's designed to improve things, first of all, it usually fails. Sometimes it makes things worse. And then, even if it does succeed, what usually happens is is it makes the higher performing people do even better. But that isn't what this did. What it did was take the people who were doing the worst. And it increased their performance up to the point where they were indistinguishable from the high performers. And so, so there's a bunch of things about that that's interesting. And the first is that people make the claim all the time that, say, in European communities, that if you're a visible minority, the reason that you're not attaining the same uh, accomplishment level, let's say, is because of sociological or political or economic reasons. Mm -hmm. But we produced a psychological intervention that helped people get their acts together at the individual level to set concrete goals for themselves that they wanted, and that removed the effects. And so that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, because, you know, among your listeners, there are, there are going to be people of, of all sorts who are drifting. And, yeah. And a lot of what I'm doing when I'm talking to live audiences is on YouTube is to is to tell people, help people figure out how to get their act together and aim at what they want. 
But what, it, what seems to be the case is if you can get men to sit down and think about how they can take responsibility for what they want in a way that would also simultaneously benefit the community, their performance goes way up and their quality of life improves and their mental health improves. And, and I've got like hundreds of letters now from people who have listened to the lectures or done that program and said that, you know, it's turned their life around, stopped them from being nihilistic, stopped them from wasting their time constantly and doing foolish things and set them on a path that they regard as much, as much more powerful. That's the thing too. It's, it's not that, the other thing that isn't taught to young men now is that the reason you get your act together is so that you have power and influence. Yeah. Right. So you get strong and and indomitable, and so that nobody can get in your way. And I don't mean that you become a cruel monster. Although being able to be a cruel monster is actually extremely useful, that doesn't mean you should be one. But being able to be one is means that you're no pushover. And who you know, you're what kind of man are you if you're a pushover? You're, yeah. You're you're not good for yourself or anyone else. So anyway, so that's been very exciting. Yeah, it's it sounds amazing. the The results are just like that's that's fantastic. Like hearing that stuff, and I I, I and I totally understand that. And, and it's something that, say for example, it, it's something that I kind of would need. Where I was even telling one of my friends the other day that, you know, I'm like you you will you'll you'll succeed much better, especially if you have something mapped out. Like if you have it, if you actually can physically see it. If you if you not just like you know thinking about it and you're bouncing all over the place. It's something that I've I would do a lot. And say recently I've been say, okay, I want to uh, get better physically and mentally, uh, especially physically. And uh, I've just been kind of all over the place and where I was just like, okay, I need to sit down and I really need to figure out what I'm going to do. And I need to, I need to actually just write it out. And, and this is, this is the type of food I'm going to eat. This is all yeah. this, like when I can actually see it, like it's so much just easier to, to just obtain. It's so much easier to I, it's not, it's not just, I don't know. Like, I always just feel like saying in your head, you have so many thoughts, so it's hard to just lock onto one thing. So when you can actually just like focus onto something like that, um, like this program that you have, it sounds exactly what a lot of people need. It sounds like something that like my, my friend that I, I hang out with, um, like, um, every week, it sounds like something that he can really benefit from. So, and I'm sure he'll watch this because he actually does watch my channel. He's a, he's a good guy. Well, look, I think what I'll do is maybe what I'll do is I'll set up a discount code for your viewers. And I'll send you that. You can put it in the link in your YouTube video link. Oh, definitely, yeah. No, yeah, I've... let's do that. That'd be good. And I'll send you a couple of codes too. And if you feel like if you if you're inclined to do the program, if you're interested, maybe we can have a conversation about it after you're done. Yeah, I'll give it a shot, man. I mean, I I'm sure I could benefit from it myself. If especially my my <laughs> my audience knows how um how chaotic my life has been, how um they they, they never know what setting I'm gonna have in the background because I move around so much. And um, I mean, I'm just, I'm just trying to, you know, just, I'm, I'm figuring things out as I go too, and I'm very open and honest. So I never, I don't know, I never, I never try to hide the fact that I, I just like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, 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 I'm getting pretty old. I mean, I'm not old, but I mean, it just to a standard of I shouldn't be bouncing from place to place because I'm, you know, traditionally I should probably have my own spot and. And I should be completely focused in and established, and you know, like I said, yeah. I just so. Well, you've it, obviously you've obviously latched onto something. I mean, you've you've produced a pretty successful YouTube channel. So how 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 come and how did you manage that? Well, it was um I I mean from a young age I always knew that I wanted to entertain people. Uh, like I just didn't know exactly what I thought it was going to be through music because I always uh, would play music. I always uh you know started playing the guitar and the drums and stuff. 
And uh, when I when I kind of reg- recognized that that wasn't really what I wanted to pursue because of just the my the independent like the independent thoughts and the stuff that I want to do the visions that I have it's very hard to work with people especially when those other people have the uh their own type of visions and ambitions so when there was something like YouTube uh, when that became a thing um I started just just putting some stuff out there like I actually I honestly thought I was going to uh, be like a gaming channel when I first started the channel um that was the first thing that I was going to try to do especially since uh gamers were doing so well I was like I would love to be a part of that community but when I saw um like I said free speech being threatened when I saw uh the thing that propped up uh, like say in 2014 uh Gamergate and um and and then there was all little offshoots where a lot of these you know radical leftists were were going after things like uh metal and saying that metal is sexist and stuff like that um and we need to we need to do something about it and and that's when I started just putting out some content and people were starting to listen and um it's no secret that it's no secret that people a lot of people like to listen to me because they, they think like I'm a breath of fresh air especially uh-huh. you know there, there's this there's a, and there's and there's a stigma, um, you know, of 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 Black Americans where people are so shocked to like, oh wow, it's so nice to meet somebody that's not X Y Z, and you know, it it sucks to say that, it, it sucks to say that, but it's just it's just the truth. I mean, you know, the 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 Black men that I know in in my area, or say that I've met and I've lived in, say South Central Los Angeles, just smack dab in the middle. And it's just unfortunate. It's an unfortunate community. They're not really interested, and like say they can really benefit from a pro the, your program because they're they're just not interested in anything. And a lot of people that I've met and I've worked a bunch of different jobs, they they just they already they feel like they're they're doomed already. Their 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 destiny has already been set. Yeah, they that's are, a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing for people to think because the world is full of more possibility than people generally realize, and um, you know. Here's a couple of things that are that are interesting in that regard. So, you you may or may not know that I've done a lot of work on the psychology of religion, and one of the things I did was look into the origin of the word sin. And strangely enough, so the the word sin means essentially to violate the sacred moral code, something like that. And you can think about that as breaking a rule, but that's not exactly the right way to think about it because sometimes it's a sin not to break a rule. You know, if the rule is 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 unjust, or or tyrannical, or outdated, or blind, then it's up to you to break the damn rule and to yeah. suffer the consequences. And so, to sin means more to go against your own spirit and to violate your own spirit, and then to violate your own your own proper mode of being. You know, to not to be true to yourself. And it's actually derived from a Greek word, and the word is hamartia. And hamartia is an archery term, and it means to miss the center of the target. And so, in my in my role as a clinical psychologist, I'm always dealing with helping people. Uh, you might think what I'm doing is curing mental illness, but that's I don't think that's really what I'm doing. What I'm doing is helping people get their lives together. And lots of people come to me not because they have mental illness, but because they have very very complicated lives. They have their families are fractured, or the, and they're under extreme societal pressure and they're, you know, they have economic trouble and maybe they're sick and like life is hard on them and they have real problems. And what we try to do is to figure out what the target is and then figure out how they can hit it. And I can tell you a couple of reasons why people fail. And one reason is, is that they don't ever define what constitutes success. So they never even aim at the target. And my experience has been 
if you specify a target intelligently, like you can't, you don't want to shoot your arrow at a target that's 50 miles away that you can't see, you're not going to hit it. You have to put a target that's pretty close and that, that's sort of within your skill level. But most of the time, if you set up a target properly and you practice, you can hit it. And so the idea that people have that they're doomed from the outset, that's, that's true if you believe it. Yeah. And I, you know, and I, I'm, I'm not trying to say that, that life is equally difficult for everyone and you should just pull up your socks and get at it. I'm not saying that because I know full well that that's not true. But you can overcome a tremendous amount of, of uh, opposition. You can, you can defeat a very, very powerful set of adversaries if you're locked onto a goal that you truly value and that, and that you've thought through and articulated. And writing that down does really help, as you observed before. The, the psychological literature on that is very clear. So I would say, don't, don't make the mistake of assuming that your life is doomed without putting that theory thoroughly to the test. And, you know, the other problem with that idea, and this is something that goes along with nihilism, is that you might say, well, it's, it's pointless and I'm doomed and the world is against me. It's like, yeah, the problem is that also gives you an excuse not to take any responsibility. Yeah. And, and maybe that's the underground reason why you're, why you're saying that you're doomed and that everything is stacked against you. You know, that, and that's not to say that there aren't structural inequalities and all of that, because obviously there are. So, yeah. And, um, and, and that's something that I, I 100% agree with you. I think that, but I think, yeah, I think leaning more towards, I think there's a lot of people that just try to opt out and they, they, you know, they don't want to take any responsibility. I think there's uh, a bigger influence of that where there are clearly, there are clear cut examples of, of people just, thriving you know out of um through the um, the worst of circumstances I, I made this this video um called message to millennials at in in at new year's around new year's and that got to be very popular and i think it was i i think i made the future i i, I think i talked about the future authoring program in that video but one of the things i thought about was i i thought it would be comical and this was after i came across you i thought it would be comical if i could run a discount code for the future authoring for black guys. But I didn't know how I would do that. But what's the demographics <laughs> of your of your of your viewership? Do you know, like who watches you? There, there's a very small amount. Um, my demographic normally is like, say, a Caucasian male, of course. And because of that, there's uh, there are some some black dudes that just don't even want to, they, you know, they want to call me uh, a coon or an Uncle Tom or whatever. And they're saying that I'm catering to the, the to the white man and all this, and yeah, why, it's why do they say that though? Because I mean, what, like, why is why is that a why is that something that would be directed against you? Because that seems like a like it's a curious kind of insult, you know. I mean, I understand being insulted. I get insulted, mm -hmm. but you 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 have to wonder sometimes why it's that particular kind of insult that gets directed against someone. So why do you think that's being why why are you being uh, put down in that particular way? I just feel like I feel like it's there. I feel like there's a lot of people that are just being told to think that way. I don't. I don't think genuinely because I never really had that issue. Um, I I really didn't have that issue growing up with um with like say when I would be in a in a, in the black community. Um, there were a lot of them because there were some people that just like say for example that maybe grew up in a private school a little bit and they had a diff um a little bit of a different start. Maybe they're an empty vessel and they were just able to just have like books like just literature and didn't really grow up on TV and stuff. And that's kind of how I got my start. And then from there, I just kind of entered the public sphere of, of school and everything. 
And so most people were pretty cool with me. But then as I started to gain a little bit of notoriety, I started to notice that there's there's quite a few people that and I'm like, where are you getting this thought process from where I'm 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 like a traitor or I'm a coon if I don't if I'm not exactly like you, if I'm not like, say, you know, the stereotypical BET black guy that's just only like exclusively into hip hop. You know, I like I love listening to hip hop, but, you know, I also actually like um, metal a lot more. And because of that thing, it's like, oh, you're you're uh, you're whitewashed or you're this. And I'm like, why? Why? Like, why? Well, why seems, are we? It seems particularly dopey to think of you as a sellout because you've made yourself a presence on YouTube. It's not like anybody's handed that to you on a silver platter. It was just some I mean, that sort of thing is open to anyone. And, and we're in the Wild West frontier days of YouTube. And, and you built yourself a following pretty much of your own accord. So I don't see, I, I mean, it's obviously some of it's got to be to do with resentment and jealousy. You'd think, I met, because that's I met, the sort so. of thing that generally drives insults, right? But I saw the same, a similar thing happening. I thought it was very distressing at that free speech rally that we talked about. There was a kid there um, who now works for Rebel Media, an Ethiopian guy, and he's pretty dark. Oh, and, yeah, I've yeah, seen him. Yeah. And, and pretty articulate, you know, and, and now he's got himself a good career with Rebel Media, which is pretty funny. But um, when he was speaking at the open mic, because it was an open, open mic session, the woman who founded Black Lives Matter in Toronto was standing about 12 feet away from him, and she yelled coon at him about a dozen times. And I thought, well, she's, she's someone I have who I think is almost utterly contemptible. And, yeah. And and because because her her behavior generally speaking is is beyond reprehensible. But I thought that was I thought that was a remarkable thing for her to be doing. Uh, absolutely, jaw droppingly appalling things to thing to do. But I was also curious about why that particular insult. Like, what, what does that mean to her? I mean, I I I, I wonder that myself. Um, I wonder that myself, especially because like reading up from my understanding of what a coon actually is. And what a coon uh, used to be was kind of like the was kind of like the whole uh, the the shucking and jiving term where you had to like turn on you had to like put on like a a show to entertain you know the the masses or whatever you had to you had to like you know um, for example be very stereotypical mm. like say a lot of people that a lot of people in the black community the ones that are calling people uh, black people like me a coon. Or kind of, they're actually the ones that are coons themselves. Actually, the what, mm -hmm, the way right, that I'm yeah. like, Very yeah, and it's like, what you mean, yeah, and it's like, dude, it's so, it's so embarrassing to see how, like, the dissent that I get on my channel. Uh, I get a lot of um, valid criticism from people. Sometimes they'll, they'll tear me um, a new A because yeah. sometimes I'm just, you know, I, I, I deserve it. Sometimes I deserve it. But when it comes to, like, um, black people, usually the ones that are, you can visibly see their thumbnails and avatars. It's just it's I, I actually feel very disappointed because it, it's usually just an ad hominem. It's usually coon. It's usually sellout. I can just do the keyword search and mm. and um, search coon. And it's either somebody joking around because I was I made a video like about a year ago or something just called like hashtag I am a coon. Just basically 
embracing it, kind of showing yeah. that I don't really, I don't really buckle. In, I, I don't, I really don't care. Like the ad hominem attacks and just, just petty insults. It, it does not affect me at, at whatsoever. So I was actually, um, I, 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 del- I was supposed to make uh, uh, shirts and everything like that, but I kind of got a little bit behind. Um, but yeah, just kind of showing people that, Hey, it's, you know, whatever, just let that just slide off of you. And, um, it's, that's all that's, it's all they have. And I, I just it does kind of break my heart a little bit because I feel like say I would hope that I would be somewhat of um like of an example of hey you know it's not it's not hopeless like you can you know it's it's stop stop talking about systemic racism and and, and saying that it you you know stop being a doomsayer and and try to better yourself you know try to if you're if you're living in a bad situation uh, how how can you get yourself out of it i always use my mother as an example mm-hmm. where she talks about just um all the stuff that she went through she went through a lot of stuff and and to be able to uh raise two kids and you know put us um, give us a good start in private school private elementary and and, and then on and then i went to public school afterwards but i it just gave me a huge advantage to where my mind felt incredibly stimulated to the point where i remember doing like uh uh fractions and taxes when i was in first grade uh dealing with those type of things that were it was very difficult at the time but now like very useful to the point where yeah i do my own taxes i don't have any problems um with that like people are always like oh, i don't know what to do i gotta pay somebody some money and i'm like nah dude what well, you know I, I think also the insults like there's a, there's a there's a kind of there's a kind of challenge that's associated with them too. So if someone, like if you're enveloped in a particular worldview and someone comes up who actually challenges that either by what they say or what they do, the first thing you're going to do, because you, you don't want to recalibrate your entire belief system, is you're going to throw horrible things at them and see if any of them stick. And so I guess partly what happens is that, and I, I mean, I've been insulted in that way as well because people have called me a bigot and, and a transphobe yeah. and a... And uh, I, I was protected against that to some degree, I think, because I'd already put 500 hours of videos online. And so if I was any of those reprehensible things, people probably could have found that out pretty quickly by going through the, the material that I had put online. Yeah. All, because I've every, almost every word I've uttered to students in the last five years has been recorded and is publicly accessible. So if there was anything in, in what I was saying or what I believed that was actually that actually deserved that kind of uh, derogatory classification, then it would have been found out very rapidly. But it's also the case, I think, that people, when they throw those sorts of things at you, there's a part of them that's hoping that you can withstand it and tell them exactly why they're wrong, just on the off chance that you're the real thing. And so, you know, you're, you've got a certain amount of success that you generated yourself, and so people are going to say, well, you sold out. And then they're going to sit back and watch and see what you say. It's like, well... I said he's sold out. Maybe it's true, but maybe he can defend himself too. So it's sort of like people will throw the worst that they can at you and see if you can withstand it. And that's part of the way they test to see if they actually should pay any attention to you. And so, so how come, how come you're able to let the, the insults, let's say, why do you, why do they, I mean, they must bother you to some degree, but they don't, bother you that much and you don't let them stop you and why is that well it's uh, uh, the only thing like that that the only thing that bothers me is, is 
like say the insults when it when it comes to especially when it comes uh when it's race related the only ones that bother me are the ones that like say when it comes from when black people in general the ones that i, I would because i i feel like say my content could help out uh some some black americans uh, i've made some videos about saying you know stop basically stop just thinking that the world's against you stop just thinking that uh the united states is just a systemic a systemic racist system in 2017 or whatever and you can't there's just no point in trying like stop telling your children that you know like give them a give them a boost i would think that they would help me out so that's the only time when when they say stuff to me like that everybody else um like i've been on the internet for so long that people are just gonna talk and say some of the worst things and most times they would never say it to your face they would never uh, most people now right, it's right. starting to, but now I'm starting to see a shift though, especially from looking at uh, the protest and, and the, the speeches that you're trying to give them. And when people are trying to shut them down, what I'm seeing is what normally used to just be fantasy becoming reality. And like in the, in the entire spectrum or like, say if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever actually been on tumblr.com. I don't know if you've actually logged on there, but no, say a lot of, no, I don't know Tumblr at all. Yeah, I <laughs> it is um I would say that a lot of stuff that you hear nowadays like when you hear about gendered pronouns, the Zzer and all the weird things that are coming afoot and the other kin and um people just being just mean and just nasty. Just, uh it, a lot of that stuff I would see that was Tumblr. Like I've never heard of any type of, you know, a hundred different type of uh pronouns until uh Tumblr and and I don't know where this was like the the safe space for them mm -hmm. I guess. And so now, why it, do you why do you think Tumblr is like that? Why do you think that's focused there? I've I've, I've wondered that myself. I've um I I have a friend that I I I, res I respect her greatly, but she's one of those people that that you know uh, changes her name and her and her pronouns and the this and that and had a boyfriend that um you know he has a beard and stuff, but he's like call me she and I'm like okay um sure um but. <laughs> And I'm trying to figure out like what where I can't find the root and and seeing like is was there like a giant presence of maybe a public figure that maybe uh, started talking about these ideas because I don't know the only thing the earliest thing that I could really find I remember like say back in 2011 I started seeing a trend happen in uh, Texas where it was being wolves it was around that Twilight movies this, the Twilight started to come out maybe it was even younger because I think the mm -hmm. Twilights were yeah came out a while ago the movies but um. I started seeing that a bunch of people are starting to dress like wolves. They're putting tails on and all these things. And I was starting to see stuff like that. And maybe it was just the pop culture, things like that were making it socially acceptable. And then it started to be discussed on forums and everything. And then maybe Tumblr. I don't know how it became the 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 ground zero, but it, it seems like that for me. And now it's just being translated into academia. Like you're, well, you're starting. Okay, so that's interesting because – you know, one of the things I've wondered about with all this identity transformation, and, and this includes not only the sort of gender, let's call it play, that, that you're talking about, but also that other kin uh, uh, universe. It looks a lot to me like the sort of fantasy play that's characteristic of kids when they're about ages, say, from about four to about nine, or maybe four to 11. You know, that, that would be the, 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 the maximal extent of it. And I wonder to some degree if what's happening is that because, because I don't think that modern kids get enough chance to engage in fantasy play, like, like pretend play, like they did 30 or 40 years ago, that maybe that was, that's been pushed aside by, by mass media, it's been pushed aside by computers and video games, it's been pushed aside by 
cell phones and it's also less common because children's play is so structured now partly because they don't have very many siblings and play dates are set up and kids lives are hyper structured and so kids have to go through that pretend play period and i'm wondering if maybe because we've suppressed that in our society if it's blossoming out in universities when kids get away from their parents and can start to experiment with their own identity if they if they're doing that through a in, in a in a because it looks like pretend play i'm going to pretend to be a boy i'm going yeah. to pretend to be a girl i'm going to pretend to be an animal i'm going to pretend to be a werewolf it's fantasy play and there's a lot of objection when people say well i'm not going to play your game you can play your game but i'm not going you you don't have any right to compel me to play your game but it may be that there's a developmental impulse that's being manifest there that didn't get its chance to express itself at at the proper stage of development something like that I, it really I, is strange it is and I, I i feel like there's definitely is some type of correlation because when you when when i was when i was a kid and when you know, we were going out we, we were like i, I was just, i'm old enough to where we didn't have any type of technology other than like say the super nintendo was was like, oh, this is amazing, and um, I would take the bus. I don't even think kids can do this anymore. Just take public transportation. I would be back by sundown. I would go to another city. Sometimes I would just go ride my bike, and me and my friends would have like missions. We would do crazy oh, stuff, right, and we right. hugely like. Um, I wish I recorded some of this stuff so I can remember it. But my point is that, yeah, definitely kids don't have anything like that. And like you said, the with the mass media, with uh, with the video games, as much as I love video games. There is so much structure that you can't really you can't really branch out and really create. You're very limited to what you can do. Even with like video games, when you can like create a character and stuff, sometimes that's as far as it can go. But you're still kind of limited to where you where you can go. You you can't fantasize. It's why I say I still like I still love reading books. Right. Because you can just you create your own world in it. And then sometimes if somebody's read the same book, you can compare and contrast and be like. How do you see this character? Even though if sometimes they describe them, you'll still have an imagery yeah, exactly. of how they look. And yeah, well, I that's think a that... good point because I think what happened in part was that you know kids engage in pretend play when they're too young to read, but then when they start reading fiction, they are still engaging in pretend play because they have to imagine the characters. Whereas yeah. in movies and in video games, the characters are basically put forth for them, and that and that there, there's utility in that because. There, you, there can be additional structure, but the, but the problem is, is that additional structure also stops you from having to use your imagination. And it's, it's through your imagination that you experiment with all the different things that you could be. And maybe that's just being pushed later into development now. And that's why young people are so outraged when you, when you violate their, their pretend identity. You know, they look like kids playing to me, except that they're really, they're too old to be doing that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and that's where, and that's why it's so, it's so absurd to me that say something like uh, uh, C sixteen, it could even be like passed, or that, that there's even a need for it. That there's because, like you said, it does seem like make believe and pretend, uh -huh. and it's like, how are you taking? How can you take this seriously? How could you take this seriously? And 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 what's happening? It, it also seems like such a a major uh, regression, like something that yeah, right. You, you're trying to hammer down on, on like, say, on free speech. You're, you can get in trouble by misusing someone's pronouns. And then now, um, recently, uh, M103, motion, uh, the motion um, has been brought up. And 
Um, what has been going on with M103? M103? Have you been keeping up with that? Oh, yeah. Well, well, one of the things that's happening that's really interesting is that, um, as far as I'm concerned, so I'm going to do a couple of lecture series or a lecture series in the next year, and, and I'm starting it in May. And what I want to do is start at the beginning of the Bible and talk about the psychological significance of all the stories right from the beginning to the end. But I also... And I, this is something I, and my Patreon funding is helping me with this. And then there's something else that I want to do in parallel, which is that I started talking to a group of moderate Muslims about a week and a half ago. Well, and, and some a couple of months ago, very, very smart people and very committed. And they want to put forth, uh, they want to start the process of describing what a, a reformed and moderate Islam might be. And so... And I think that's the right way to go with regards to the tension that exists between the West and, and the Islamic world, or even within Canada, between, there isn't a lot of tension in Canada yeah, about anything, really. But to the degree that there is tension, what needs to be done between new immigrant communities and the communities that they're entering into, obviously, is for a dialogue of consensus to be, be, to be started and hopefully that I'm going to engage in that. And that's the proper way to fight Islamophobia. But the, the, the current government insisted that this motion, which is, it's not a bill, it's just a, it's a motion, which is uh, expression of commitment on the part of parliament to go and study uh, 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 an issue or to make a moral stance on an issue. And yeah. they described the, the concern with emergent Islamophobia and the opposition parties in Canada complained about the specification of, of Islam in this in the wording of this motion and said, "Well, look, we can we will all support an anti-prejudice and anti-harassment and anti-discrimination motion, cross religions, no problem. But if you use that word, Islamophobia specifically, we're not going to support it." And so they offered to the to the current government the possibility of unanimous consent for the motion, but the ori originators of the bill wouldn't withdraw the wording, which I thought was absolutely appalling because Islamophobia is a really, it's not a good word. It's First terrible. of all, it takes a medical term, phobia, and uses it politically, which is really a treacherous and sneaky thing to do. And second, it, it specifies a specific religion when there's no evidence that that religion is being specifically targeted. I mean, it might... There's no real evidence in Canada that, that the adherents of that religion are suffering from any more discrimination than the adherents of other minority religions or even the adherents of, of so-called majority religions. Mm -hmm. So it was a very bad idea. But And so I, I think this other approach is better. And, and so my, I publicly opposed M103 uh, with a certain amount of effect because I'd be talking to the people who who are running for the leadership of the official opposition in Canada, the Conservative Party. And I've talked to a number of them about M103 and about also issues of responsibility among young men because the Conservatives finally have something to sell young people, and they never have. If for the <laughs> first time in the history of, of conservatism, during my lifetime anyways, the Conservatives have something to sell to young people, and that's responsibility. And so we've also been talking a lot about that. But... Um, so, so there was some opposition to M103, and I think the proper way to, to progress with that, to, to reduce the tension between the Islamic world in general, but also Islamic newcomers in Canada and, and longer-term Canadians, is to 
engage in a dialogue with moderate people, and I hope that that's going to get off the ground. We've, we've got the ball rolling, and some very impressive people already on board. We've got the ball rolling for that, and I hope I'm going to play a, a role in that. So that would be really exciting, and it would be really fun to do that in parallel with this biblical series. So, because then yeah. I, can, I can approach the fundamental stories of, of Judaism and Christianity at the same time as engaging in a public discussion about the meaning of Islam and the implications of Islamic belief for, for, for the broader political culture. So that's an exciting opportunity, no, no doubt about it. Yeah, that sounds great, and it sounds like um, an, a great way to go about it, too, if you can do those things simultaneously, especially so it, there can't be any talk about, like, oh, he's just uh, criticizing Islam or, or or whatever, when you also, you're just, you're, 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 you're talking about just religion, like, kind of across the board, you know? And, yeah, well, I'm trying to understand it. Yeah, and, and that, I think a lot of people are, too, and I think that's kind of like, What's so frustrating about what's been happening and, and things like, say, M103 even, like, existing or, say, uh, something for quite some time on, on YouTube that just there are certain words that if you put it in your title, your tags, like, your video would be demonetized. They're saying it's advertiser – it isn't advertiser-friendly, and, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes you wouldn't even be saying anything harsh. I Like, say, sometimes I'll say, I would just love to have an honest and open dialect about Islam because I think there's a lot of people that don't understand it. I think there's a lot of people that are just like, oh, all Muslims are this. And there's, I've seen quite a few people that are like that. I'm like, wow, I think we need to talk about this. Yep. And, and people don't want to talk about it because people that were full-time – you're not going to make any money off of it, and it yeah. sucks. Like I feel like it's such more of a important issue that I would just I would like say I put out a video um this just talking about what happened in London not too long ago, just because I, I and I, I knew I was going to get demonetized, but I'm like why not? I I, I want to just at least put it out there and just saying can we can we can we talk about this? Can we can we be honest and and say that there's definitely some type of issues and like on both sides there's there's just um you know there's a lack of communication. And I, I think, yeah, what you're what you're going to do is is fantastic because it's it's desperately needed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and you know, I'm fortunate because last April when I set up my Patreon account, which was way before this political political issue exploded, I did it mostly out of curiosity because, you know, I was making, I would say, fairly low quality videos from a production perspective. I was just using an iPad on a on a tripod. I was just using an iPad on a tripod, and, and uh, I thought, well, maybe I could, you know, I, by that time I'd had about a million views, and I thought, wow, that's, that's a lot, man. If I wrote a book that sold a million copies, I'd be dancing a jig out on the street. So I, I was really starting to take YouTube seriously because I thought, I thought about it for a while, and I thought, well, oh, I see what's happening. This is, this is like a Gutenberg revolution. It's the first time in human history where the spoken word has as much reach as a book and as much permanency. And that's a whole new yeah. thing, man. And, and it's way faster than a book. Like you can, as you know, you can, well, this video we're making right now, we can have this published and in front of an audience, uh, an immense audience and attract a couple of hundred thousand viewers within a few days. It's unparalleled. And so I thought, yeah. oh, I'll set up a Patreon account because that was a new thing too. And because I, I was, I've been really curious about how creative people can monetize what they're doing. And it's very difficult. And so I was looking into that and I found Patreon and I thought, well, I'll set up a Patreon account and see what happened. 
But I was fortunate because I decided not to use advertiser generated revenue on YouTube. I decided to use Patreon and, and I didn't know it at the time, but that also made me more or less immune to threats of such things as demonetization. Yeah. You know, which is, which is a form of, it's not exactly a form of censorship. It's more, a, it's more like, it's more like an attempt to turn the, the tremendous diversity of music on YouTube into elevator music, right? It yeah. can't be contentious because then you can't sell advertising on it. Well, if it's not contentious and interesting, no one's going to watch it. So it's a, it's a suicidal move in some sense on the part of the advertisers. Because if they sanitize YouTube, then all that's going to happen is another, another free speech video site is going to pop up and people are all going to flock there in no time flat. Like it's, yeah. it's a long-term suicidal move. But, um, but there are ways to protect yourself against it. Um, and, and Patreon seems to be an interesting way of doing that. How many, how many YouTube videos have you had demonetized? Um, I've had, I've, I've luckily, I haven't had too many. I've probably had a total of like six. And, um, the, the, the ones that the, the main ones that have been demonetized were, were pretty old and I wasn't really going to generate any money from them anyways. So <laughs> it was, and however, this month, um, I've had one of them that was one of my better videos, the, or at least it, it did better. And it was the one about um, the the attack in London, and that was immediately demonetized. Mm. And, and I was just like, "Well, okay, fine." And then another one because because of um, the whole ad uh, hysteria with a bunch of the companies pulling out, yeah, they started to you know crack down a little bit harder. And they, I responded to. There's this company called Mike, and they just still put out a bunch of nonsense. Like a lot of people are starting to pull back a little bit on their social justice warrior ultra progressive nonsense. But they're still pushing on, and they, they had a video called, like, Things White People Killed in 2016. And it was just, like, a bunch of trends, right, uh, dancing moves and all this stuff, saying that if white people do it, it it's, you know, it's cringy. And, stuff, I'm like, and it's still, you know, just being – it's That's only true for nerdy white people. It's right. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Like, but <laughs> like I mean, and it comes down even, like, say, I mean, just nerdy people in general. When you see people dance or do something that just have no rhythm, it's just so cringy. Like, you just can't look. You get the secondhand embarrassment, right? And um, But, yeah, they just put out some ridiculous stuff, so I reacted to that. And um, that video did very well. And that got demonetized recently, so I'm like, oh, great. So I'm not going to get anything from that anymore. What, one last thing I want to ask you because uh, people really wanted to know. Uh, what is your opinion on pineapple pizza as a topping? Not, um, well, pineapple as a topping. I hate you pizza. Hate, you hate yeah, pizza. Well, I used to work in a pizza restaurant. And what <laughs> I learned was that you actually have a lifetime maximum of pizza ingestion. And once you hit that, you can't actually eat any more pizza. And so I hit that when I was about 16 because I worked in a pizza restaurant for about four years. And so I ate my 10,000th pizza and that was like, oh, that's it, man. There's something about the spice. I think it might be oregano, that, that specific spice that I don't like. And so even covering it up with pineapple, that would improve it. But uh, it still makes it very difficult for me to eat pizza. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. All right. Sounds good. All right, um, Dr. Peterson, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out of your, and I'm sure your insanely busy schedule to, uh, to talk to me, man. It's been an absolute honor. It's a and pleasure, man. It was real fun. And uh, I like your channel, and I wish you the best of luck, truly. And I hope you, I hope you get yourself oriented and, and knock them dead. That would uh, be good. Most definitely, man. Thanks again. I appreciate it. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Right. Bye. Do you love the American Constitution? We too. 
please help letting this podcast survive in the current cancel culture. Amazon recently deleted our Peter Kanzler collection, probably for being too cheap. It was Locke, Hobbes and the US Constitution for only 15 bucks. Check out our Peter Kanzler at Barnes and Noble, Lulu or do a quick DuckDuckGo search to buy American collections that come at the lowest price possible to keep civil law great. That's P-E-T-E-R-K-A-N-Z-L-E-R. Featuring the original texts from Locke, Hobbes, Rousseau, the US Constitution, Machiavelli and many more always bound together in just one book. Thank you very much.